3650 Physiology of Exercise Lecture, Tuesday, October 27th, Neuromuscular Adaptation. Okay, if we look at the um, second slide in the PowerPoint of uh, Neuromuscular Adaptation, we see that the principles we're going to cover today is to talk about myoplasticity. Again, again, myo meaning muscle, and this idea of plasticity meaning that we can uh, achieve some sort of semi-permanent uh, or long-lasting changes in the characteristics of uh, this tissue. Uh, we'll take a look at the effect of inactivity on muscle, and then specifically how muscle adapts to um, a positive stimulus uh, where it's being required to produce force, uh, specifically strength training. We'll look at uh, physiological adaptations, the mechanism behind uh, these uh, adaptations, and then the effect of aging. Okay, so if we move on to the third slide, uh, myoplasticity. This is this idea or notion that uh, if we impose a chronic stimulus on skeletal muscle, uh, that it will adapt over time. And this adaptation is uh, relatively long-lasting, particularly related to some of the adaptations we see in other physiological systems. And this chronic stimulus uh, that provokes this adaptation is, is getting the skeletal muscle to produce force. Uh, and in fact, getting it to produce more force than it's used to. Now, um, there can be both negative and positive adaptation. And if there is a lack of sufficient stimulus over time, and that's mostly due to inactivity, uh, that leads to a regression of muscle tissue or atrophy. Um, and the specific term for that is called sarcopenia which essentially is a, uh, an atrophy or a decrease in size uh, of the muscle and a decrease in its ability to produce force. The positive adaptation results from an overload stimulus, that is uh, getting this muscle to produce, on occasion, more force than it's used to uh, on, on a regular basis. And uh, we typically see this with physical activity and specific exercise and it leads to um, a positive adaptation. So the muscle very much follows the process or, or idea of you know, either use it or lose it. Okay, if we move on to the uh, fourth slide, uh, one of the things that we see uh, with this negative adaptation or sarcopenia is uh, inactivity. So there can be a, a variety of reasons that the muscle doesn't produce as much force as it should. And those could be things like uh, sedentary lifestyle, um, aging, injury, or immobilization, uh, which is uh, common to see, for example, uh, uh, an easy way to see this sarcopenia or, or atrophy is if, um, say, you've broken an arm and had that limb immobilized with a cast, and uh, you can see that after... Uh, some period of time when the cast is taken off, the size of, of that arm is much smaller uh, due to the uh, atrophy and actual loss of, of muscle tissue. One other interesting uh, areas of muscle, uh, the effects of inactivity on muscle is related to space travel and the microgravity environments. In fact, it's a, a specific concern because uh, as astronauts go into space and as particularly we look at longer space travel, travel to the moon and, and uh, for uh, NASA's 
anticipated project where they're going to try manned space flight to the, to the planet Mars. Um, this becomes a, a real issue because when you're in space, you don't have the uh, effects of, of gravity constantly stressing the muscle and the bone, and uh, that leads to significant atrophy. By far, though, the most common uh, reason for sarcopenia or loss of muscle tissue in, in this society is, is sedentary lifestyle. Is simply just not using uh, muscles through physical activity like uh, we used to. Uh, we see that very much so with aging. Uh, there is some tissue loss uh, or loss of strength that's a result just of the aging, but by far also it's mostly related to the fact that as we get older, we become much less active. Okay, well, in, in terms of the positive adaptations, um, uh, and, and I usually like to refer to it as strength training instead of resistance training. Um, there are a variety of different terms, weightlifting, you know, et cetera. We're, we're essentially trying to uh, expose the muscle to some resistance, which causes it to produce more force than it's used to. I think the main goal of this is to improve muscle strength. So I like to refer to it as strength training. Um, and the first adaptation we see is that muscles get stronger. If you impose this regular stress or, or stimulus on muscles, they increase their ability to produce force and so the individual gets stronger. Uh, one of the next most notable things that we see is that muscles actually increase in size. Um, this increase in size can be uh, tracked to the fact that we, we literally have more contractile proteins acting in myosin, more regulatory proteins like troponin and tropomyosin um, uh, we also see increased size and in, in tensile strength of tendons and ligaments because the tendons attach muscles to the bone. If we get these muscles to produce more force, they, they pull uh, uh, more regularly on these tendons and it causes the tendons to uh, adapt over time as well. However, there's usually a disconnect between the time course. Uh, muscle tissue itself can adapt much more rapidly than tendons and also the next to bone mineral content. So there needs to be a, a you know a gradual adaptation uh, for connective tissue and, and bone. But definitely doing strength training activities uh, influences bone mineral content and bone mineral density as well. Muscles are connected to bones. When you when you get these muscles to produce force uh, they generate force and they pull on tendons and those tendons pull on bones and that stresses the bone and, and uh, we typically see a positive adaptation over time. We also typically increase the anaerobic biochemical capability uh, or characteristics of these uh, muscle cells. Uh, an increased amount of total amount of ATP, creatine phosphate, we store more muscle glycogen, the glycolytic enzymes become more active because we use these energy systems more in strength training than uh, in other types of activities. Now interestingly there are some cardiovascular adaptations to strength training and it's uh, and we can see this in the heart muscle itself, the myocardium. Uh, it's interesting that um, this particular response is due to what's called a pressure overload. And uh, I'm kind of illustrate this with the two studies that are mentioned here on, or give an example on uh, slide number six. The first indicates a study where they had subjects do a 
one uh, uh, they did a bench press exercise but the amount of weight that was on there was only 50% of their one repetition max and as you can imagine that's that's not a very strenuous workout but they measured the blood pressure response of these subjects during this bench press activity and the mean blood pressure response while they were lifting the weight was uh, 230 over 150 so as you can see this is a pretty substantial blood pressure increase if you consider that resting blood pressure is about 120 over 80. More significantly during a study where subjects were doing a, doing a maximal effort leg press the average blood pressure was 350 over 280 millimeters of mercury so an enormous uh, blood pressure response. Now couple things. First of all, these blood these high blood pressure responses or sort of spikes in blood pressure are fairly short. Uh, they're very transient. As you're straining hard against the weight, blood pressure goes way up, but then as you let the weight down and relax, blood pressure goes back down again. However, this does create a pressure overload for the heart. Uh, essentially what's happening is as the individual is straining to lift this heavy weight or straining to lift this weight, the muscles can compress the blood vessels that are in those muscles and blood flow through those muscles is impeded. In effect it's sort of like uh, pinching a garden hose. So the heart muscle attempts to compensate by generating more force and more pressure to try to push blood through those um, uh, arteries. And so the result is blood pressure uh, increases significantly. Well, what happens over time if a person lifts weights, particularly very heavy weights, and trains intensely over time, is that the heart muscle itself actually adapts, and uh, the the wall thickness of the ventricles gets much thicker. Uh, it actually stimulates an increase in growth of heart muscle tissue uh, in response to the heart having to generate so much more pressure on a regular basis during this intense weightlifting. Okay, well, we, we obviously see increased strength as a result of strength training. And so what's responsible for this strength, this increase in strength? So as we move on to slide number seven, one thing we've already talked about is neurological training. We see as a person, particularly who is a novice, starts some strength training, they will see a relatively immediate, within a few days or the first week or two, a relative uh, immediate increase in muscle strength. This is largely due to the neurological training that we talked about of training the body's nervous system to recruit those motor units in a more synchronized fashion so that we can uh, uh, overall produce more force uh, with the existing muscle tissue. However, in the long term, the, the reason for the increased strength is due to an increase in muscle size. Um, the muscle gets bigger. We can look at um, the cross-sectional area of a whole muscle and it gets bigger. And we can look at the cross-sectional area of individual muscle fibers or muscle cells and they get bigger. Essentially what happens over the long term is the stimulus of this muscle producing, you know, being required to produce more force stimulates a process in the muscle for it to synthesize more protein uh, and, and in essence there is more contractile protein now in this muscle. More contractile protein, more actins and myosins means we can produce more cross bridges, more cross bridges, uh, more power strokes, and, and therefore we can produce more force. 
Okay, and so uh, slide number eight uh, illustrates this graphically, and you can see the blue line on there where over time there's an increase in strength. Uh, early on, the black line, you see a sharp increase in uh, uh, progress that's mostly due to this neural adaptation, and then the sort of yellowish line, there's a slower uh, rise, um, and then eventually uh, uh, the individual's increase in strength will plateau, and uh, the increase in hypertrophy will plateau, increase in strength, and this neural adaptation plateaus uh, much earlier. There can be some manipulations you see on the graph, um, the steroids. So after a person has reached their sort of uh, genetic maximum ability uh, to produce strength, you know, through the, the best strength training they can do, there are some manipulations of the system, for example, using anabolic steroids that may provoke an additional increase in strength, an additional increase in hypertrophy. Now, as we move on to uh, slide number nine, uh, the question really, well, first of all, we can see, and this, these two circles on here represents, on the left, first of all, uh, a cross-sectional area of a muscle. And then over time, with strength training, we see that the, this uh, cross-sectional area gets bigger. So the real question is, how does it do that? How does a whole muscle get um, bigger? Well, a significant amount of research has been done over time uh, to try to determine the mechanisms behind this muscle adaptation. And it essentially falls, uh, research falls along one of two lines uh, as seen in uh, the arrows in uh, chapter and in uh, slide number 10. Uh, and that would either be hypertrophy or this idea of hyperplasia. So if we look at the cross-sectional cross-section of the muscle on the left, the smaller circles represent uh, individual muscle cells or muscle fibers. And as you can see, there's six of those in that particular um, uh, uh, diagram. The idea of hypertrophy would be over time, the whole muscle gets bigger, but it gets bigger because each of the individual muscle fibers gets larger. So as depicted in uh, the, the hypertrophy arrow, there are still six muscle cells or muscle fibers, but each one of those is now bigger, making the whole muscle bigger. This notion of hyperplasia, however, is the idea that the stimulation of um, uh, strength training would cause the muscle to actually produce more new muscle cells. And so in this case, the individual muscle cells are the same size, there's just more of them in this muscle, so the muscle gets bigger. So it's this notion of hypertrophy versus hyperplasia. And there's lots and lots and lots of research in the literature about this idea. And the, there, the, the take home message here is there is unequivocal evidence. It is absolutely known that the main mechanism that muscles get bigger is that each individual muscle cell is stimulated to uh, synthesize more contractile protein and each individual muscle cell gets bigger. So hypertrophy is without a doubt or without question the, the main uh, mechanism of an increase in muscle size and an increase in muscle strength in relation to um, strength training. There are some animal models, though, that show that uh, with chronic overload stimulation, 
that the satellite cells that I mentioned in the in a uh, lecture or two ago may be stimulated actually to produce some new muscle cells. Uh, the research is, is is not really good yet in humans to indicate that this takes place, but um, the uh, animal research indicates that there may be some very, very small degree of hyperplasia going on. But again, take-home message is muscles get bigger in relation to strength training due to hypertrophy. And that is each individual muscle cell synthesizes more contractile protein. Each individual muscle cell gets bigger. Therefore, the entire muscle gets bigger. Uh, if we move on to slide number 11, we can see this, this sort of gives an indication of, um, uh, we'll look at this one in the next lecture on steroids, but it's the, the process where within each muscle cell, uh, there are a number of different nuclei. And within these nuclei uh, uh, contain the DNA and there is the stimulus of this uh, genetic code within the muscle cell to go through the transcription and translation process where we um, where the, you know, the RNA essentially takes the message from the cell's DNA to the protein synthesis machinery within the cell and tells it to uh, essentially uh, increase production to crank out more um, contractile and uh, uh, regulatory proteins. In this case, uh, this particular slide, number 11, which is figure 5.2 from your book, shows the effect of um, uh, like steroid hormones, but uh, contraction of muscle, regular contraction of muscle, stimulates this exact same protein synthesis uh, uh, process. Now, taking a look at what happens as a result of aging is a uh, useful uh, way to look at the adaptation of muscle. Uh, because such a large proportion of our population in this country is aging, uh, the whole baby boom generation is now in their uh, 50s and 60s, um, there's been a huge amount of research done on uh, the effects of aging on, on all types of different physiological systems, but particularly on uh, muscle. And we see that there certainly is a decrease in muscular strength. Um, now, the interesting thing is that there's no change really in what's referred to as specific isometric tension. That's how much force muscle tissue can produce for the amount of cross-sectional area. So the actual quality of the muscle tissue itself doesn't really change uh, with aging. So why are we able to produce less force? Well, essentially what happens is there's an overall loss of muscle mass. That's this idea of sarcopenia. Um, muscles get smaller and they, they decrease in cross-sectional area. And specifically, if you look at fiber type changes, uh, there's not really a change in the distribution of slow twitch to fast twitch, but most older adults have a greater amount of atrophy or decrease in size in the type 2 or fast twitch muscle fibers. And this makes sense because if this is largely due to inactivity, when we age, not only are we less active overall, we're also less active in 
the, the types of activities that, that we are much less active in are uh, high intensity uh, type activities that would help uh, or that would involve these uh, type 2 or fast twitch fibers. There's also some remodeling uh, of, of the uh, nervous system, if you will, that there's a decrease in functional alpha motor neurons. Um, the effective size of the motor unit uh, increases. That is, there's more fibers, muscle fibers, per alpha motor neuron. And this particularly affects um, uh, coordination of, of activity and, and uh, balance to a certain degree. Again, as I mentioned, there's no real change in fiber type distribution. Um, you can see either no change or a decrease in the capillary density or capillary to fiber ratio, although this is probably more related to um, uh, aerobic exercise training, which we'll cover more in the next section. Uh, there's also a decrease in oxidative capacity. Um, Again, it seems like the number and size of the mitochondria decline. The actual quality or the functional ability of the individual mitochondria isn't affected. It's just if it's not stimulated to be used, then, then the mitochondria essentially uh, atrophy as well. Because oxidative or aerobic capacity has declined for typical activities, we have to rely more on anaerobic capability. And so there's an increase in use of muscle glycogen um, uh, for uh, anaerobic glycolysis. There's an increase in use of creatine phosphate. There's more lactate accumulation. Um, so if our aerobic capacity declines, then for usual activities, we have to rely more on our anaerobic capabilities, which also leads to, to more rapid fatigue. There are some important metabolic and disease consequences. There's an increase in insulin resistance, and individuals become more glucose intolerant. That is, for any amount of blood glucose, um, the muscles don't take that glucose up as well, and therefore we have to have more insulin secreted to do the same work. That can lead to both increased uh, insulin levels and increased blood glucose levels, which uh, all can eventually lead to, to type 2 or that adult onset diabetes. There are some studies indicating also that um, older adults uh, or people as they age might be more susceptible to the exercise-induced damage or injury that we talked about um, uh, last time. Okay, as we move on to slide 14, um, this is a slide that indicates the result of strength training uh, really sort of a landmark study. In this particular study, a group of uh, researchers went into a nursing home and recruited uh, subjects from the population of people who lived in the nursing home. And their average age was 90. So these were old, uh, relatively frail uh, uh, individuals. And they put them on a strength training program. And in fact, the strength training program they put them on was very similar to what you would see uh, with younger adults. You know, the type of, uh, and what's depicted on this slide, um, this is slide 14, is uh, the results of the, the, the leg strength training. And they put them on, uh, you know, uh, knee extension, uh, uh, leg curl, leg press type exercises. 
three sets of 10 to 15 repetitions, very similar to what you would do with younger adults. And you can see over 12 weeks of training, um, about a 100% increase in the amount of weight that was able to be lifted with the knee extensors, the quadriceps, and the knee flexors, the hamstrings. So even in 90-year-old individuals, uh, they can adapt very readily to strength training. And one of the interesting things about this study was they looked at a number of functional outcomes. Uh, with older adults, as an example, one of the tests that they do is to have them sit in a chair, and then when they give them a signal, they have them tr uh, try to come to a standing position, and they record the amount of time it takes them to go from sitting in a chair to standing upright. Um, and one of the things in this particular study is that the amount of time it took these subjects to do that declined dramatically because that kind of motion is very much attuned not to age but to leg strength and as they improved their leg strength they were able to improve some of these uh, their ability for some of these functional tasks. One of the things that was interesting in this particular study as well is they looked at uh, ambulation or the ability of these uh, individuals to get around and they saw that where uh, some subjects used walkers towards the end of the study they were able to not have to use the walker but to use a cane. Individuals that used a cane for example were able to walk unassisted mainly because the increase in leg strength helped them maintain their balance and perform just simple daily activities like walking uh, in, a, in a much more effective way. The next couple of slides can illustrate uh, uh, some of the achievements that older ad adults can can attain with regular activity. Um, you can see this individual uh, if you play the PowerPoint slide you see the individual first and uh, by blocking out his face you kinda get an indication just looking at his uh, muscularity and his leanness if you were to try to guess his age uh, I would think most people would probably guess that this would be someone in his uh, 20s or 30s or possibly even his 40s however this uh, gentleman is 67 years old and this is a uh, visual indication that older skeletal muscle or or muscle in older adults can adapt to strength training uh, uh, chronic strength training just as well as as younger adult uh, muscle can and then the next slide shows this individual uh, not only at age 67 but now at age 79 and so you can see at an age where a lot of uh, older adults are in nursing homes and wheelchairs and that sort of thing uh, this individual has maintained a significant amount of muscle mass. Um, and in slide 17, uh, this is an individual who at age 80 was still able to run under 15 seconds in the 100 meters. So uh, clearly an ability to produce lots of force very rapidly uh, even at an advanced age indicating that um, uh, skeletal muscle adapts very nicely uh, to strength training and high-intensity activity e even at an older age. And so sort of the take-home message here, particularly in, in our society, is that it's never too late. Uh, that uh, individuals, even if they've been sedentary, even if they're aging, uh, of course if they're put on an appropriate strength training program uh, and, and avoid injury and, and taking into consideration any other health issues they may have, skeletal muscle can adapt uh, very nicely to, to strength training really at any age. 
Okay, and I'll uh, update the uh, summary points on the PowerPoint, and we'll uh, be happy to go over these and consider any questions after um, uh, we're back in class.